Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> All right, let's not uh, share the love on that count. But man, yeah, we had a good time yesterday. Um, I'm so thrilled to be here with you again. Uh, this is my third time with y'all. Y'all, we're family, yeah. right? So it's just Auntie Julie in the house is what it is. Um, so I can't think of a better thing to do than declaring the lordship of Jesus in a house. Man, what an honor to get to talk about the one king, the one true king. Um, I would like us to start, if we could, in Mark chapter 8. How many are into reading the scriptures? Come on. So let's read. Let's go to Mark chapter 8. We're going to jump right in. We're going to parachute right into the middle of a story here that Mark is telling. He's telling the narrative arc of the story of Jesus in starting in verse 27, I'm going to give you just a second to get there. I hear pages turning. I love that sound. Mark chapter 8. Um, if you don't know, this, um, this is one of the Gospels. I never like to assume that anybody is already up to speed on things. Um, this is one of the biographical accounts of the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus on the earth. We have four of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark, Mark was actually not there. I don't know if you know that. <clears throat> He was not there. This is largely believed to be Peter's account as told to Mark. So it's, Mark is, um, it's like from, from thing to thing to thing. There's like no messing around. It's just like action-packed. And because I think that's like you can see Peter's personality and Peter's style. Oh, and then this and then this. And okay, now this, now what, now this, you know. And so that's how Mark moves fast. And I love it. Um, so we're going to drop right in to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, let me ask you something. Has anyone ever spread a wrong assumption about you? <laughs> spread a rumor? Oh, I'm getting laughs of familiarity. Yeah, I've had that happen too. It's not a great feeling, is it? It had some fake news spread about you. I think it's even more prevalent now with social media because people can just say all kinds of things and think they know stuff they don't know and making assumptions. Um, Who is most likely to believe something about you that's not true? Someone who doesn't know you. Well, we want to know Jesus. We don't want to believe the fake news. And here, you know, it was no different. People had been making wrong assumptions and spreading fake news about Jesus actually even since before he actually appeared in Bethlehem. It's nothing new. He was used to it. And the problem is that we all have a tendency to do this, actually. If you stop and think about it, every single one of us, if we're not careful, will create God in our image. We will make Jesus out to be who we think he should be. Or maybe who we feel we need him to be. But the thing is, God has actually made himself very known in his word and in his word made flesh in Jesus. 
He's left no mystery. And see, the problem is we make those assumptions when we're filling in gaps, right? When we don't have all the information. I'm famous for thinking that me and somebody are not okay. It's part of my personality, right? Just like if we haven't talked in a while, I'm like, are we still friends? Like, you know, just whatever. I guess I'm, I'm uh, I don't think I'm high maintenance, but maybe I am. And so, you know, that thing of, and I think we do that when we only have a little information, right? That's how the story gets misconstrued. Oh, we don't have the full picture. But God has given us the full picture. He has actually given us all of the information. He has told us exactly who he is, and he has shown us who he is in Jesus. Now, we dropped into Mark's account, and it's really important to know that up to this point in Mark's account, Jesus had actually, he's actually not stood up and said, hey, it's me, I'm the Messiah. He hasn't done that. He's just been going around doing Messiah stuff. He's been like healing people and feeding people and doing stuff, right? He hasn't actually proclaimed who he is. And we already know who he is when we're reading this, right? We can drop in. I mean, we're, we're, you ever, like, you're reading a, a true story or watching a movie that's based on a true story, and you're like, well, I already know how this ends. Like, you know, the person who wrote it, I know they lived because they wrote it, right? Like, we already know the ending. And so, we're, right? <laughs> you know, you're like on the edge of your seat, and you're like, Julie, they're okay. They're here. Okay. Um, but this is, for us, reading these stories in, in Mark and in Matthew, and all these stories of Jesus' ministry, we're reading it already knowing, like, who he is and everything. It wasn't like that for the people around him. Right? They're figuring it out. They're just discovering the full reality of his identity and his purpose. Up till now, he really has only called himself the Son of Man. He hasn't stood up and said, I'm the Son of God. He hasn't said, I'm the Messiah. He's just been doing stuff. And it's really fun to watch some of his interactions with some of the religious leaders who would try and be like, who are, you know, who do you say that, who are you? And he's like, well, who do you say that I am? You know, like, he's just like, you know, just, it's a, it's a, it's, they're, he, they're playing right into his hand, right? He's doing way more showing than telling. One of my favorite preachers, uh, John Mark Comer, um, he has, points out that in Matthew and in Mark, this is basically the fulcrum point. It's where everything pivots in these stories. Because up to this point is the lead up to the question, who do you say I am? And everything after is the follow-up to the answer, you are the Messiah. Hmm. Everything shifts with who do you say that I am. And friends, I'm here to tell you, everything can shift for you when you decide who he is in your life. Amen. So let's start with the first question looking at this piece of scripture. The first question he said is, who do people say that I am? You know, what people say about Jesus, it actually hasn't changed very much. Have you noticed? People still have all kinds of fake assumptions and misassumptions about who Jesus is. Um, they said the first one, well, some say John the Baptist. And I think these people were like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he kind of sounds like that other guy a little bit. You know, kind of crazy. Kind of, you know, out doing things with water, I guess. And, um, you know, this is a casual guess from someone who's not very familiar, right? We see this in people who lump Jesus in with the Dalai Lama or Buddha or Muhammad. They're kind of like, oh, you know, just another spiritual guru, right? Nothing new. This has been happening since the beginning. I don't know. He's some, you know, 
kind of does some stuff and says some stuff. And then the second guess they made, some said Elijah. Well, Elijah was really important. If you know, he was a prophet, but he had also been prophesied that he was going to come back. That the spirit of Elijah would come. And so Elijah, if you know about his ministry, this is the guy that, you know, was having battles on mountaintops with prophets of Baal. And, I mean, he was really out there, right? I mean, prophets, as prophets tend to be. Um, you know, if you have, by the way, can I just interject something that is not in my message? I, I just did not plan to say this, but I'm just going to say this. If you want the presence of God, sometimes people's giftings don't look like your giftings. And if you don't understand people, it doesn't mean that it's not right. It could be that their gifting is different than your gifting. And sometimes we need to appreciate that variety. And if I can be honest with you, sometimes people who move in the prophetic, they are a little weird. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and that's okay. You can laugh. You can laugh. It's okay. Relax. It's okay, because you know what? I'm a little weird, too. We all, I want to be a little weird. I want to be, we're supposed to be a peculiar people, right? And so people who are spending, um, here are getting visions from the Lord or are getting messages from the Lord, sometimes they march to the beat of a little bit of a different drum, and that's okay. Because I would rather have those people around, and I would rather, um, you know, have some variety than be in this sort of homogenous echo tank, right? I want to have all the, we've just asked for the fullness of his spirit. If I want the fullness of his spirit, that means I better be ready for that. It's God, do what you want to do. Bring who we need, not necessarily who we want. I did not plan to say any of that. Um, and so, but he's the king. He gets to say who's in his kingdom. I don't get to say what roles people have. He's the king. All right, let's, let me get back to my notes here. So Elijah, yeah, Elijah, he was kind of a weirdo. So he was, um, he was having, you know, battles on mountaintops and, like, you know, calling down fire and slaughtering false prophets. I mean, he was out there, right? So when they say about Jesus, oh, some say it's Elijah come back. Because, again, like I said, Malachi had prophesied that he would return to usher in, quote, that great and terrible day. So they're like, oh, he's the equalizer. You know, he's going to come and he's going to just, you know, be a force. And then, you know, we see that today really where people are like, oh, well, you know, Jesus, he's just a really good man. Like real goodness, right? Like he's just, mm. And or, you know, and people don't know what to think of him, right? They're just, I don't know. Or how about this? They said, oh, he's one of the prophets. You know, he says some important things, some good sayings, a wise man. Have you ever noticed, how many of you have talked to somebody that they don't like church, don't want to read the Bible, but they're okay with Jesus? Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Yeah, of course. It's kind of a pervasive mindset. And because not too many people can find fault, actually, with Jesus. And, but what they'll do is they'll try to characterize him as, oh, he was a good man. Oh, he was he was wise. He was a spiritual leader. They won't go so far as son of God. But here's the thing. If you listen to what he said, you can't say he was just a good man or just because he was either a liar or a raving lunatic or he is Lord. Amen. Those are pretty much your choices because he ends up saying some pretty crazy stuff. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, I mean, he says some crazy stuff. You know, no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. There's not anyone else really saying that. 
And, and so, you know, you don't get the option of, oh, well, he was an esteemed teacher. No, <laughs> he's Lord, and, and it's all or nothing. So Jesus gets to the point of the question. They're, they're like, well, here's what, here's what people out there are saying. Do you think he asked, what a, who do people say that I am because he didn't know? <laughs> no, he knew. Sometimes he'll ask you a question so that you know what you're thinking. It's for you to know you, for you to locate yourself. Because if I don't know what's in my own heart, it's going to be hard to make progress. It's, um, one of, it's been attributed to multi, multiple people, so I'm not even going to try. Some say Augustine, some say different people. But it's know yourself that you may know God. You know, we've got to be honest with where we are and with what we're already believing. And so he's helping them locate themselves. What are people say? What are people saying? Oh, here's what. And then he's like, okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter gets it right, right? Peter's like, I believe you're the guy. You are the long-awaited Messiah. Um, one of the commentaries that I like says this: says Peter knew the opinion of the crowd, though complimentary toward Jesus, wasn't accurate. Jesus was much more than John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet. He was more than a national reformer, more than a miracle worker, more than a prophet. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Amen. Now, I want us to spend a little time here because we throw around those words like Messiah and Jesus Christ. And in case you didn't know, it's not his last name. He's not Mr. Christ. Okay. It's his title, Christ. But what Peter says here, depending on your translation, it either says you are the Messiah. The one we read said you are the Messiah. That's the NIV. Some of them say you are the Christ. And in the Greek, you know, that was actually written, Mark was written in Greek. And in the Greek, the word there is actually Christos. Okay? Not hard to see how we get Christ out of that, right? But Christos, what you need to know is Christos is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. John makes this connection for us. And uh, if you're a Bible nerd and you just want to know for sure, for sure, that those, are, those words go together, in John uh, chapter 141 and John chapter 425, by the way, Bible nerd is high praise from me. I don't say that as a derogatory term. Um, I'm an aspiring Bible nerd myself. So, um, but it's important for us to know that this is not a name. It's a title. And what it means is when we think of Messiah, probably different things come to your mind, right? You probably think of, you know, oh, Savior, right? Um, rescuer. We think of like Hosanna, oh, save us, right? Any, any, am I tracking with anybody? Who's, that's kind of what comes into your mind. You guys aren't going to raise your hand because you know it's a setup. Okay. Um, you're like, we're not falling for it, lady. Um, but... <laughs> This is not an, it's a title, and it means anointed one. And I had always heard um, Christ meant the anointed one and his anointing, or I knew it meant anointed one. But more specifically, if you study this out, it really um, intimates uh, anointed king. There are various theories in ancient Hebrew tradition as to what 
Messiah would do. Nobody knew for, knew for sure. They knew they were waiting for their Messiah, but, well, you know, what's he going to do? Some thought he's going to be a great military leader who would free his people from this Roman occupation and oppression, right? And we see that over and over. I mean, it's so, it's funny now because we know the end, but when you're reading these accounts of Jesus with his disciples, and, and, you know, like right after this passage we just read, he goes on to talk about the Son of Man must suffer many things. And, and, and they're listening, and they're like, uh-huh. Okay, so when are we throwing over the government? You know, like they're, like, they're not getting it. He told them over and over, I'm, I'm going to die. I mean, he really lays it out, and they're like, uh-huh. Hey, can I sit next to you on your throne? You know, I mean, they just didn't get it. They couldn't hear it because they had this idea of what they were looking for. Some thought that um, others, you know, these theories in he ancient Hebrew tradition, some thought that he'd be a great uh, religious leader, you know, or um, a dispenser of justice, right? Here's the, here's the thing to know. Of the over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Messiah, they were all very clear about this. A king would come from God himself and would usher in the kingdom of God. That is Mashiach, Messiah. That is Christos, the Christ. This, my friends, yes, praise God indeed. This, my friends, though, it's, is why he said, tell no one. Because it's not time yet. Did that ever bother you when he said, tell no one? I'm like, what do you mean don't tell anyone? Why, why is he saying that? Because the idea that you are the Christ, this was a revolution happening. You are the anointed king. You got it, Peter. Don't tell anyone yet. We're not there yet. Because he knew once that language starts getting out there, it's not going to be very long. And things are going to go down. So why does all of this matter? It's so important because, as we said, often when we hear Messiah, we think Savior, right? We think a rescue. But Messiah doesn't merely mean Savior. It means King. It's a rescue and a ruler. It's, I mean, this is not negotiable. No one wants to be kind of your king. You know, um, if you are, everybody understands authority. You have a boss at work. You have, you know, maybe if you've ever been in the military, you know, there's ranks. It's very clear. Um, nobody's kind of the commander. Or, you know, well, you know, they're, they're kind of my boss. Um, <laughs> They either are or they aren't, right? It's not a partial. When you, I was in the Army, actually. I joined the Army right after high school. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not negotiable. You basically swear your life away, you know, and when you swear in. And it's not negotiable. Their allegiance that they expect is full, 100%. Any betrayal is a betrayal. Any insubordination is insubordination. Okay, And we need to remember that if Jesus is going to be our king, I can, there is no greater king to fall under. He is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in a field. It means that, that for Jesus to be our king, it means forsaking all others and following him as sovereign. That word sovereign, I want you to think about that. Because some of us think of it as uh, merely a theological term, like, oh, yes, the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign. You realize, like, in England, where they actually still have royalty, even though they're not really running things. But anyway, um, but they're called the sovereign. 
If you look up sovereign in the dictionary, that's what it means. It means a king or a queen. It's a royal ruler. Jesus is sovereign. God is sovereign. He doesn't, he's not waiting for you. He's not like that, you know, insecure friend, oh, will you like me? Uh, you know, he already is. Your allegiance to him does not affect who he is. Or your lack of allegiance to him does not affect who he is. He's king whether he's your king or not. The opportunity is to decide, will you come under his lordship? Will you be in his kingdom? Because if he's not your king, you're actually not in his kingdom. All right, we'll get to that. So being in the kingdom of God, here's the thing. This, this question, this pivotal question, who do you say that I am? This is where the narrative shifts in the gospel accounts, and things are about to get really real, right? And Jesus begins moving toward trial and crucifixion and accomplishing all of the work that he came to do. And here's why this matters. Because if they don't have settled who he is, they will not have what it takes when things get hard. Friend, if we don't have settled who he is, we will not have what it takes. Not if, but when things get hard. He wants to be your king, not just your buddy. Jesus is not your homeboy. Have you ever seen those, those shirts and stuff? And I get what they're saying. I get it. I get the spirit of it. But he's, he's more than that. He's a king. He's a king that does invite you to intimate relationship. What a privilege. What a privilege. But make no mistake, he's a king. Um, my pastor had talked about, um, we were talking about these matters, and he talked about uh, that we have an easy believism in our culture. You know, um, people, you, well, we see it, right? So many folks are more cultural Christians. And if you ask, you know, well, what does your faith mean to you? Oh, well, you know, it's more like a club, really. It's um, something that, you know, or it's like a Hail Mary pass. Oh, I brought up football. Hello. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, we're watching the time. We'll get you out of here on time, don't worry. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's that uh, phone a friend or get out of jail free or, you know, oh, I got the stamp in my passport kind of, kind of thing. That's not what Jesus is into. And here's, here's what we see with that. Um, did you know that um, how we can see the contrast of American Christianity where it's very comfortable to follow Jesus. We really, it doesn't cost us anything in our society to become a Christian as opposed to people in other nations that are being persecuted. You know where the church is growing the most aggressively is where you can actually go to jail, be killed, persecuted, like actual persecution, not wearing a face mask. Amen. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> Um, so so th that is where the church is actually exploding. But in the last 20 years, do you know that 25 million Americans have left the faith? It's too comfortable. It's too easy. It doesn't cost us anything. We've diminished it from serving a king to just hanging out with a buddy sometimes. So... As you're thinking about this, I, you know, I expected you to be a little quiet because this is for real. We're going to get a little more real. Um, because the thing is, we all have to answer this question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And can I tell you, we have to answer it more than one time. Amen. 
because if my throne has a heart, or switch that, if my heart has a throne, I have to tell you that far too often when I look at that throne, I'm sitting there. And I have to repent again. Jesus, I'm sorry, that's your seat. And bow again to the allegiance of my king. Who do you say that he is? You know, we talked about um, in the story, right, people uh, in the narrative, Jesus had just been doing things, people were watching, even the disciples were following, but they're like, who is, I don't know, I can't not follow this guy, but I'm not really sure who he is, you know, I'm not really sure where this is all going, and, but he's amazing, and they're just all kind of checking it out. And you might be in here today in that place, and that's okay. If you're in the, in the, the before times, right, if you're in the checking him out, like, I don't know, I, you know, I'm getting to know who he is, and I'm watching what he does, and I'm listening to what he says, that's okay. That's great. Hang around. Come in closer to him. Listen. Dig into, met, hey, if you're new to Bible reading, please don't start in Genesis. And certainly don't start in Revelation. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are great places. Get to know Jesus first. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that will help you. This is, again, not in my notes. But that will help you. If you get to know Jesus really, really well, that will help you understand when you're reading things in the Old Testament that you can't make sense of. Remember, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when you don't understand something, go, I don't understand that, but I know who Jesus is. And I'm going to trust him to make sense of it. Right? Yeah. Isn't that faith? Because I don't have to understand everything. Yeah. Faith means I don't have to have the answers. I have, I can, when I have faith and when I really trust, then I can trust your character when I don't understand what your hand is doing. Yeah. But I know you and I know your heart. So when you read something in some of those hard uh, Old Testament passages where you have trouble reconciling, it's okay. You don't have to connect all of the dots. That's why it's called faith and not just knowledge. Yes. Amen. And when, when we're not sure, we can bring that to the Lord and say, God, I'm having trouble making sense of this, but when I look at Jesus, okay, I'm going to trust that you've got something that, that this fits together. Is that helpful? So you might be in the before times. You might be still observing and listening and deciding. That's great. Stick with it. But for some of us, today is your pivot point. You've been watching, and he's asking you now, who do you say that I am? Or you maybe had already said that at one point, and so now every time a, a talk like this comes up, you think, oh, I've already done that. Oh, really? Have you? Have you? I mean, I have too, but I find myself pretty much daily finding things that I have taken back out from under his lordship, going, okay, Lord. It is a daily decision. Here's the thing, because you can say Jesus is your king, and, but here's how you know, because check this. You choose your king by your affection, attention, allegiance, and obedience. You know who your king is by where your affections are. If, if you say, yes, Jesus is my king, where does your attention go? Sometimes it's, you know, where, where's my attention, where's most of my attention been this week? Oh, it's been on this problem over here. Oh. 
Most of my attention, it's been on building my business. Oh, wait. It's, see, guys, it's so easy, right? Um, where, what about your allegiance? I'm just going to go here, because why not? I've already talked about face masks and football. Um, but it's an election year. Let's make sure, well, let me rephrase. If your king is Jesus, then whoever ends up getting elected, we should still know who our leader is. And what about your obedience? You know, we, I don't know about you. I, anytime I read scripture, I find something I'm not doing. <laughs> I mean, this, this is why I'm saying this is a regular daily process. Amen. This Jesus is king stuff. We can say, oh, well, that's a new believer evangelistic message. Yes, and. <laughs> it's a never-ending process. Amen. It's a regular, reoccurring choice. Every person has to decide. Here, let me just root this in scripture for you. Every person has to decide for themselves and will be judged by one thing. What did you do with Jesus? Guys, it's not how often you came to church. It's not even how many scriptures you know. Are both of those things good? Yes, they are. But they're not the thing. John chapter 3. three John 3.16, speaking of football. Okay. Um, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, someone want to stop right there. Oh, see, Jesus saved everybody. Well, let's keep reading. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Guys, people talk about how can a loving God send people to hell? And I'm not here to debate what hell is. There's a lot of, I mean, people way smarter than me have different uh, you know, um, theories and interpretations on what exactly hell is. What I know is it's not being unified with the Father. And it's not being in his presence and in fellowship with him. And that's what I want more than anything. Yeah. And people say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. A loving God comes and rescues people from hell. But he's also loving and gentle. And he doesn't make us do anything. Yeah. Do you ever have somebody that was being nice to you or being in relationship with you and you knew their heart wasn't in it? They were doing it maybe because they felt guilty or obligated. How's that feel? No. Yeah, it's not real. The Father is not looking. This is why it's our free choice. Have you, do you have those friends, those family members, those loved ones that you know they love you? They reach out to you, and y'all just light up when you see each other. And you know, those people you love, you're like, oh, I just love it. I can't, I, I, man, I miss them when we're away. And That's how the Father feels about you. That's why he sent Jesus. 
But remember, making this transition, it's translating from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Means saying, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Right? There are so many ideas in this world about Jesus, about who he was, who he is, you know, a wise sage, a social justice warrior, a pacifist, a revolutionary, I mean, a prophet, a healer, all these things, right? But Jesus, when you encounter him, he forces the decision. Will you surrender the throne of your heart to him as king? Now here, let me submit this for your consideration. Because I believe we have people in our churches regularly who have not really surrendered to him as king. They, they've tried to get, they want to get their get out of hell insurance, but he's not really their king. And if that's you, don't look mad right now and nobody will know it's you, okay? So I don't know, I don't know your stuff. I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure there's people here kind of in that boat that it's like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'll come to church and I'll, you know, yeah, baby Jesus, you know, me and baby Jesus are cool. Um, but that whole king thing, that whole surrender, you know, obedience, I don't know. Here's the thing. If you aren't sure that Jesus deserves your complete surrender, you have one or both of these two things going on. You ready? You want to know what's going on? First, you haven't seen him as he really is. If it's just, you know, a little town of Bethlehem and, you know, like, like uh, Talladega Nights, sweet baby Jesus, you know, um, little cultural reference. I've actually never seen that movie. That might be a terrible movie to quote. I don't know. Um, Ricky Bobby? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've just, everyone's seen the clips, right? I've never seen the movie. I don't know. So don't judge me. Um, but <laughs> they're like, too late. Um, You know, or you think that he's just, you know, um, some of the portrayals we've seen of Jesus is just, he's not really portrayed as like a man's man, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, right. you know, that face. Remember that old painting that used to be so famous everywhere, you know? <laughs> I mean, he didn't look like a king. He sure didn't look like the ruler of the universe, you know? Um, and so if you'd not, sure that Jesus deserves your, all of your affection, all of your attention, all of your allegiance, and all of your obedience, you maybe haven't seen him as he really is. John saw him in a different light in Revelation, and he couldn't quite find the words for it. That's why it's crazy, because he's trying to explain things. He's like, I don't even know how to tell you about this. Imagine if somebody from ancient Bible times came and was trying to describe the space shuttle. Um, it's like a, 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 like a, a chariot that like goes on like a log and it flies in the air and but no wheels. I mean, the words would be so crazy because they're only using the words they know. So that's why Revelation's so weird, by the way. And there's other reasons too, but... Um, it's possible you haven't seen him as he really is. A friend of mine um, was preaching a sermon and said, some of us don't love him because we just haven't seen him yet. And let me say this. If you still have questions, there's a book I want to recommend. Um, or if you know somebody 
who's not sure about, ah, I don't know, Jesus. I mean, I, I know people that were raised in church, and then now they're like, I don't know, that's pretty far out. Virgin birth, really? Like, you know, there's some far out stuff. This book is a great resource. Uh, it's called The Doubter's Guide to Jesus by John Dixon. The Doubter's Guide to Jesus by John Dixon. That'll really help you out. So that's the first thing that might be going on. You maybe just really haven't seen him as he really is. The other thing that could be going on, and like I said, it could be both. We kind of touched on this earlier, but you might not have seen yourself yet as you really are. You don't realize you need a savior. You think you're a good person. What you haven't figured out is it doesn't matter. Because as good as you think you can be, you've missed it. You ever done something for self-interest? Of course you have. We all have. Ever told a lie? Of course you have. We all have. <laughs> ever been selfish? Mm-hmm. Probably this morning. <laughs> James chapter 1 talks about, in verses 22 to 25, it talks about letting the word tell you the truth. It says that um, it's... Basically, if we want to be wise, we don't want to be like somebody who looks in the mirror and, um, like, you ever, <laughs> you ever get home at the end of the day and you've been with friends and whatnot and you get home and you're like, I thought my friends loved me. I have broccoli in my teeth. Like, and nobody told me. And that has been there. I, I mean, it's like 5 o'clock now. I ate lunch at 1. I thought these people were my friends. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, have you met somebody and you're like, did they not look in a mirror this morning? Like, what's going on? James talks about that we don't want to be like people who look in a mirror and just walk away and don't do anything about it. But if we'll keep looking into the scriptures, looking into the word, which, by the way, Jesus is the word made flesh, okay? So if we keep looking into the word, the word will tell us the truth about ourselves, and it will help us. It will help us to grow and to go from glory to glory and to be transformed. If you, You're like, oh, but... Man, Julie, I hear you, but it's so hard. I know it's hard. You know why? Because you're trying to do it yourself. The transformation can only happen by the power of the Spirit and the power of His Word. I can make choices. Yes, I have a responsibility. My biggest responsibility is to say yes. My biggest responsibility is to say, help. I'm a mess. I need your help. That's my biggest responsibility. Oh, I blew it again, Jesus. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, again, my buddy John Mark Comer, not really my buddy, I've never met him, um, says, he says this, Christian theology and spirituality at its best is the healing of your vision of God and the reunion of your soul with that vision. It's the healing of of your vision of God and the reunion of your soul with that vision. Um, somebody a little more well-known, A.W. Tozer, says this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. See, it's how we're thinking. Because what we think is what we do. It's what we move toward. It's what we become. And it's been said the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Whatever your vision of God is, that's what you'll pursue. 
even if the vision is self. Think about, you know, if, so if you're atheist or agnostic or, you know, whatever, that's what we tend to move toward. Whatever, because everybody worships something. Even if it's self-interest. We all worship something. Well, what do we mean by worship? Our affection, our attention, our allegiance, our obedience. What's calling the shots in your life? That's what you worship. Not who you sing a song to. It's not, um, you know, well, let me just go down front and kneel on my knees and sing real loud and even maybe cry a tear or two, but then I'm not surrendering out there. And I'm hard to deal with, and I don't keep my word, and, you know, the list goes on. Lordship is what's happening in the inner life. So who do you say that he is? The world says, make your own path. Jesus says, I am the way. The world says, live your truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. The world says, uh, uh, live your best life. Jesus says, I am the life. Hallelujah. Friends, I can tell you from experience, the best life out there, there is no better life to be had than one surrendered under the lordship of Jesus. Is there a cost? Yes, there's a cost. Absolutely. It's a cost to my pride. It's surrendering and trusting that when he asked me to do something, because let's, let's not make a mistake. What was Jesus' invitation? It wasn't, hey, I'm going to have a party. You want to go have a party? That was not his invitation. Eventually it is at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But his invitation was to come and die, to take up your cross and follow him. So there is a crucifixion of sorts that we're signing up for. And it's not, thankfully, an actual crucifixion for most of us. There are people on this planet that it could come to that. But what he's calling for is that crucifying of the self-will. The surrendering of, man, I just really want to do this. Here's what I've found in my life. The things that I've struggled with the most, and it's a struggle. Let's be real. It's a struggle sometimes. Our flesh is very, uh, can be very loud. It can be very stubborn, right? There's things I want to do that scripture tells me I should not do. And so I don't. And but that struggle, in my experience, that struggle is usually on the before I've decided side. I mean, I don't know if that's, that's my experience. Once I've really, and I'm not talking lip service like, okay, Lord, I surrender, but I know I've still got more, you know. It's like the person who says they're going to quit cigarettes, and so they throw out a pack, but got the rest of a carton in their car. And I'm not bagging on smoking cigarettes. I, I don't think it's that huge of an issue. It's between you and the Lord. But you know what I mean? You're, you've still got some things. Or like, oh, I'm going to eat healthy, but I've got like five packs of cookies in the cupboard, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's why I can't buy sweets. They call me at night. Ugh. I hate it. I hate it. God help me with my nighttime snacking. Anyway. Sorry, did I just go personal? Yeah. All right. Um, but the biggest challenge is on the before the decision. Once I've decided and the matter is made up, so here's the thing. I'm single, not married. 
let's just be real, I'm, I'm actually not that tempted to go have sex with people because I decided already. I'm not out there playing around going, well, you know, I'm going to try. No, that's how you end up in bed. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. Right? Or, well, you know, we're not going to go too far. You know you are. Because the too far. It's not like, oh, I've decided ahead of time. Here's where this is non-negotiable. Once you've decided your surrender, then because once I've, his grace to follow up, on whatever he's asking me to do, the grace to live that out comes once I say yes. When I'm still holding some cookies in the cookie jar, he knows. He knows my heart. You ain't tricking him. He's like, come to me when you're serious. My um, experience of surrendering to the Lord back in October of 1988, um, I, now I had prayed and you know, said, Jesus, I want you to be my savior when I was five years old. I don't even, I'm not going to do the math to tell you what year that was. It was the early 70s at some point. Um, and so, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home and, and just, you know, all over the place and um, really lived wild once I got out on my own, to be honest. And it was October of 1988, and um, it was a really miraculous encounter. I Probably, if I had not surrendered my life to the Lord, so I knew of the Lord, right? I knew just enough to be miserable because <laughs> I had prayed, Jesus, be my Savior, but I wasn't serving him. So I was miserable. And, um, and I, if I had not reached out to the Lord that night, um, I'm pretty sure I would have ended my life. October, it was a Thursday night. I don't know the date. It was a Thursday night in October of 1988. And instead... I just did the smallest thing in his direction. And it's like the Lord just said, that's all I needed. It invaded my room. I wasn't even a big praying person at that point, but we had like a three-hour visitation. And, and what I encountered with the Lord in that moment, it was just as real as you and I sitting on the side of my bed there having a conversation. And he would like take a part of my life in his hand and hold it. And he'd say, okay, what about this? And I'd be like, well, Lord, if you really wanted me to give that up, I would give it up. And it's like, he would act like I didn't say anything. He'd be like, what about this? Because he knows when we're giving him lip service. Some of us don't know when we're just giving lip service. Because we've so fractured our souls. We need to ask God to reintegrate our soul. Lord, help me to know myself. Help me to not be self-deceived. And what I found in that encounter with him, didn't mean to leave you hanging there on the side of the bed. What I found in that encounter, you know, he was just so gentle. What about this? And there'd be a struggle. There was a struggle. God, yeah, if, if you really, and he just would ask me, what about this? And when I finally would just, it's gone. The desire would leave. But not until I made the struggle and the decision. I had to decide because he's gentle and he's kind. It's an invitation. Do you want this? It's the best. There's no better life than the life I have for you. Let me tell you, friends, by, by not making him your absolute king, by not make, giving him all of your affection, all of your attention, all of your allegiance, and all of your obedience, you know what you're missing out on? John 10.10. 10. Yeah. I've come to give you life and life to the full. Now, it might not be the life you thought you wanted, but it's going to be. I love, there's this great line from a movie where this guy says, 
You're everything I never knew I always wanted. And that's what I feel about the Lord. I never could have designed the life that he has given me. It's not what I thought I wanted. I wouldn't change a thing. Because it's the greatest adventure. This is not for wimps. This is not for people looking for a crutch. This is people for people who have the courage to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step. I'm going to join up under that king. He is I am. Whatever you lack, whatever you're seeking, he is the highest and best of every category. Friends, he supersedes categories. He is the one king. I can't think of a more beautiful way to seal this and to give you a point of contact to reaffirm. And again, this is not for, oh, you've never prayed and made Jesus your savior. You can do that today. Please do. But this is for all of us. I can't think of a better way to seal the lordship and the kingship of Jesus in our lives than to take communion together. So I'm going to have Jordan come up and take us home.